Hello, I'm Conrad Swift, and welcome to the Cardano Convo podcast, a podcast that gives a glimpse into the Cardano ecosystem. The Cardano Convo provides an easy-to-digest explanation of the projects that are being built, thoughts, and what's going on within the Cardano community. Today, I'll be speaking with Ken Oling, the co-founder and chairman of MELD. Without further ado, let's get to the interview. Hello, Ken Oling. It's nice to have you on the show, and thank you for taking the time today to talk with us and answer a few questions about the work you've been doing with MELD. Super. I'm really happy to be here, and I'm looking forward to your questions. So there are a couple of questions that I always ask. To begin, could you tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, what drew you to crypto in general? So yeah, so um, my background in crypto started in about 2017 during the ICOs. Um, so I was involved in a couple of ICOs as an advisor, and that was exciting. It was all very new, um, had a great time, but it it ended up losing its momentum and losing its engagement because ICOs were such a, or the tokens at that time were such a convoluted idea. It took forever to be able to explain what uh, what that specific token was doing. And so I kind of, I, I put that off to the side and I started doing sort of core technology, more on sort of data science and, you know, data pipelines, things like that. Um, and then when DeFi came back or came into existence in 2020, that became attractive to me again because the business models around that, the sort of you know simple cash flows and APY, this made a lot of sense. It was easy to understand. It was easy to explain. And so it sort of, it, there was a magnetism to it. And so then I started getting involved in that again. Um, and then, so through 2020, we were, me and my partner, Hi, we were discussing sort of what it is we were going to be doing and how it was going to work. We started building prototypes. And then sort of as the prototypes started coming along and we felt confident, then we decided to start putting a team together and building it out. So I started with myself and Hi. Um, so he's my co-founder. He's in charge of all of the technology on the blockchain side. So he's a um, longtime Haskell programmer. He's based out of Hanoi, and he's been working on the Cardano blockchain for more than three years. He's worked on several other different blockchains as well and projects. So he worked on Indigo. He worked on Tezos and several others. Yeah. And so, uh, so he had the pedigree. And he knew what he was doing. And I felt very confident putting all of the, the really kind of um, the blockchain technology in his hands. Um, and on top of that, and more important than that, actually, he has a team or had a team of six developers at the time. We're up to 12 now. But he had a team of six Haskell developers. Oh, wow. Haskell is a very rare language, right? Yes. So to find a team that big that had been working together for three years already on Cardano-based projects, that was like a, an amazing find. And so I knew after a couple of months talking with him that, that we had a team that could actually deliver on the ambition level of what it is we were trying to do. Yeah. So that was the beginning of Meld. That's like striking gold to find that many all already put together as a team. That's amazing. And one leading it who already has crypto experience. That's oh, <laughs> yeah, it was a, it was a godsend. It really was. So for our audience, could you explain what meld is and what you and your team aim to achieve or the end goal of the project? Sure. So, so meld is essentially a banking stack on Cardano. And what that means is we provide a open source protocol that allows you to do lending and borrowing on the Cardano blockchain. We're able to take cryptocurrency, we're able to lock it up into a smart contract and either borrow cryptocurrency against it, or more importantly, be able to borrow fiat against it. Yeah. So the reason why this sort of came about was as we started to see the bull run, I had a lot of friends that were investing in crypto and they saw their portfolios swell, become huge. But because they were investing so much into crypto, they were crypto rich and fiat poor. Yeah. They had no money. And they're oftentimes expats. They're living here. Uh, they're living all over the world. 
when they tried to use something like a BlockFi or a Nexo, they couldn't pass KYC because they didn't fall under these very sort of narrow specific rules. And so I was sort of throwing around this idea of, okay, there's all of these people that are, are investing heavily in crypto, but they still need to live their lives. They still have to get married or buy a car, or buy a house and these kinds of things. And I really bought into the idea of DeFi in the sense it's trustless, it's decentralized, it's non-custodial. And what I saw that in the market, there wasn't anything like this that allowed you to take your crypto, lock it up and get fiat in this trustless and decentralized way. So Hai and I started to develop the, the ideas and the models, work on the white paper, figure out some of the technology, build the first proof of concepts. When we felt confident that we could actually do this, then we started putting a team together and, and, and building it for real. So as part of this process, obviously one, we, we decided on the Cardano blockchain. Um, but when we started looking at the lending and borrowing, we saw that there was a lot of room for improvement because Cardano is capital efficient. It uses its capital very, very well. So it's high transaction rates, low latency, low transaction fees. And so when we use this capital efficient protocol or capital efficient blockchain, and we start applying lending and borrowing to it, it opened up new avenues to us. So one of those avenues is a negative 1% interest loan. So you can use ADA as your collateral, lock it up, and you can borrow the meld stable coin, MUSD. And when you do that, then you pay negative 1% interest, which basically means you don't pay, we pay you yeah. to borrow money from the protocol. And the reason why we can do this is when you look at a loan, when people put collateral up in the traditional world, sort of in the traditional finance, they put collateral up, the bank takes that or the lending platform, whatever it is, takes that collateral and puts it to work. And then they make yeah. money off of that. You know, anywhere from like 5% to 30% is the return on the collateral and they keep all of it. Oh, of course. Yeah. Right. And because we're working in blockchain, the protocol is transparent. You can see what's happening. It's not a black box like BlockFi. You can see everything that's happening. So we thought, okay, we're going to make money off of the collateral. Yes, that is the way that it works. But let's give some of that back. So it's not magic. It's not you know, too good to be true or anything like that. It's just taking a step back and looking at how lending and borrowing works and say, okay, we can do this a little bit better. We can do it a little bit different. And this is very good because when you're doing lending and borrowing, there are two people involved. There's the lender and there's the borrower. Yeah. And you want to incentivize both. You want to make both of them happy to use the MELD protocol, not just one. You don't want to just take from the borrower and give to the lender. You want to be able to have a healthy ecosystem on both sides. And so yeah. that was the kind of thinking that we put into this to try and build this new type of um, lending and borrowing protocol. So that's something I don't think a lot of people have been thinking about is with this new technology blockchain that we don't have to do things the old way. And the beauty of the blockchain is you don't have to trust. You can verify, which is something I don't like people used to harp on more so a couple of years ago, but not so much now. But I still think that's one of the most pivotal points that you were talking about is that you can verify this. It's not a black box. It's not. The bank does something with like some magic and therefore they make money. Like you can see where everything's going. So I think that's phenomenal to be so transparent like that. So you talked a little bit about choosing Cardano and I'm sure many of our viewers know that I believe in Cardano and its potential to change the DeFi finance world or decentralized finance world. But there are many other platforms one can build this project on like Ethereum, Binance Smart Chain, what made you and your team decide to build on Cardano? So, so my background when it comes to DeFi comes out of 
Ethereum. So, so the, obviously the majority of DeFi is in Ethereum. That's where kind of all of our inspiration comes from. So we have we're we're super enthusiastic and we're we really are big fans of Ethereum. Um, but we were looking for something that was capital efficient. And Ethereum today is not capital efficient. Yeah. Um, it's unpredictable gas fees, uh, low latency, especially under high traffic conditions, meant that you know maybe two or three years from now, it will achieve this high degree of capital efficiency. But at this point, it's not there. So then we started looking at other blockchains. We could have gone to uh, BSC, but we saw that, and this is, you know, we have nothing against BSC, but it is much more centralized in that sense. And that really didn't fit our personality, our mandate. We didn't want to go in, like I said before, it's like we really bought into the value proposition for DeFi. And so therefore, sort of Cardano was the obvious. It had, you know, at the time, it was the fourth largest cryptocurrency by market cap. Um, it had low latency, low transaction fees, well thought out architecture, out of the box staking. Um, there were just so many benefits on the surface for choosing Cardano. And that's why we chose it. Um, but since we have made that decision, our opinion has kind of changed. So now that we're we're taking the L1 of Cardano and we're looking at, okay, we're putting a business on top of this, you know, we're building yeah. L2 or L3 on top of it. Um, the role of the blockchain also has to fulfill your business requirements. And what we surprisingly saw was there are lots of other benefits to Cardano. So the best probably example is the ISPO. So the only way we would have been able to do an initial stake pool offering to get the community involved in this process was on Cardano. You yeah. couldn't have done it on a different protocol. I mean, you had this, what, uh, almost just over a month ago, you had um, Ethereum 2.0 staking. You had a stake pool who lost their keys. Yes, I heard about that. That millions of dollars just gone. Right. And so when when I sort of stumbled across, across this idea of ISPO, it just made complete sense. It's safe. It's part of the L1 blockchain functionality. We're not building anything on top of it. It's something that already exists out there. We can have as much community engagement as we want. Um, it just made, it just, it just felt right. And, you know, once we looked through the details and we did all of the due diligence we needed to on it and we launched it, it ended up proving to be yeah, what we had hoped it was going to be. So we ended up getting over 100 million ADA staked on the ISPO in the first 24 hours. Wow. So it's been, yeah, it's been overwhelmingly good and we're really happy because this is kind of, this is, you know, the, the Cardano has been a long time coming. But it's been architected very well. And because of that, it's going to have a longer shelf life than other blockchains will because they put so much effort into that early work. And we're seeing that now. And we're really happy that we've chosen it. And it just it's a gift that keeps on giving. Of course. I'm going to touch on the ISBO very quick or very soon. But it is an interesting, again, as we were talking about with the blockchain technologies, we can do things differently. And having, for example, normally if you want to start a company or start a business, you'd have to either bootstrap it, get an angel investor, find some venture capitalists to invest in your company. But to allow the community or, for example, through Cardano, you could do Project Catalyst. That was mm -hmm. one method. Or you could go, as you guys did, you have a stake pool. You say, hey, for this one. I think you guys have two offers, one that's 50 ADA, 50 meld, and one that's 100 meld. Correct. So Correct. if you invest into the 100 meld pool, you may not be getting ADA, but whenever the meld platform comes out, you'll be getting the meld token. So instead of using an airdrop or any other method that allowed you guys to earn capital, which also is valuable for a DEX, and also have the community be a part of it. But 
On the topic of the SPO, I've seen a lot of different viewpoints on MELD's initial stake mm -hmm. pool offerings or ISPO. Some within the ecosystem seem not to be too fond of it, but others yeah. are all for it. Why did MELD decide to use this token distribution? I know you touched a little bit on that, but and what would you say to the community in regards to the use of an ISPO? Mm. So we did the ISPO um, as a kind of, or it came out of looking at how Occam launched and the community's negative reaction towards the Occam launch. So I don't think Occam had any ill intent, but the community came after them for it because very few people in the community managed to get any Occam tokens as a result of it. Yeah. Um, also, it went out on as an ERC-20 token and, you know, all this kind of stuff. Oh, cool. And so... <clears throat> When I was thinking about it, I was thinking about, okay, how can we make a fairer way to get the community engaged? How can we have a more fair launch? And it just kind of hit me, wow, we have stake pools. They're there already. They're you know battle-tested. They're proven. Let's use a stake pool. Let's use the core L1 technology to do this. That's what, that's what they spent all this time building Cardano to do. And so we started fielding that um, and thinking about sort of how we can approach it and, you know, different mechanics to it. Eventually, we landed on one and then we launched it. Um, and like I said, it was very, very successful. But there's the sort of opposite side, which is because so much ADA was staked in the ISPO, a lot of that ADA, 60% um, of it, came from other stake pool operators. And so yeah. that created kind of two camps. You have one camp of stake pool operators that were not particularly happy about it, but they understand that things evolve and that this was kind of a, a natural progression as Cardano becomes more mature. And then a smaller group that were just came after us, knives drawn. Yeah. Um, and so we couldn't really do anything about that. We tried to be as, as professional and as rational as we could. Uh, it wasn't, there was no intent, obviously, in doing that. We're super happy that 40% of the ADA that came into the ISPO were not coming from other stake pools. Yeah. Uh, so that's, we're bringing liquidity to the environment. Um, but when it comes to the, the, to the angry stake pool operators, I can completely relate to them. Uh, when we started, we did try to reach out to a couple of stake pool operators to talk to them about collaborating, but because we were brand new, we didn't have the the sort of big sort of you know famous VC backing and all this kind of stuff. Um, they weren't interested in having a conversation with us, hmm. and so we were kind of left to our own devices, and we just decided to go ahead and do it. And then after we did it, we had to sort of deal with the consequence. Um, so we've, again, we've talked to lots of state pool operators and discussed it with them. Um, some of them are pretty level-headed and some of them are not. And we just have to kind of leave it at that. We do get other projects coming to us saying, we want to do an ISPO. How should we do it? Yeah. And we, we what we're doing is we're putting together a kind of a playbook to show people here are some of the things you need to think about. Here are some of the things you shouldn't do because we did and it was really bad. Uh, we screwed up. Um, we're talking to some stake pool operators to see if they're interested in participating um, in ISPOs in the future and what that might look like. Um, but it's still very much kind of in the early conversation stage. Yeah. Am I... Do I regret doing an ISPO? Absolutely not. I think it's absolutely fantastic. And I think it's a credit to Cardano as a technology. Um, would I have liked to have had a lot more engagement from stake pool operators? That would have been fantastic, but it wasn't to be. Um, what I found out later on from other stake pool operators, actually, yeah. was a lot of the criticism leveled on us you know, we're not uh, providing to the, to the, you know, to the Cardano ecosystem. We have a bunch of stake pools. It's creating centralization, all this kind of stuff. Um, when I talked to some other stake pool operators, I found out that the older stake pool operators had criticized them for the exact same thing. So it's kind of the, the standard arguments yeah. for newcomers into the ecosystem. So I think we just needed to 
show ourselves, show what we were made of. Um, on top of that, there's obviously sort of rug pull, rug pull considerations. There's, you know, who are these guys? Are they for real? All this kind of stuff, which we had to get through. We had to demonstrate. We had to prove that we weren't, you know, doing anything nefarious. We were on the level. Um, and so I think my, by and large, we're pretty much through that now and it's kind of calmed down. It's a lot more sort of normal. People are asking more constructive questions rather than trying to attack us. Oh, so I remember reading through Reddit and seeing like it was, as you said, some just had pitchforks and torches at the ready because I understand it's a competitive environment. I run a pool, the loops pool. And yeah. so, of course, if you guys do or have anybody who's doing an ISPO, we definitely would work with them. We're a little bit smaller right now, aims to get bigger, hopefully. But it's it's just going to be a natural progression. This You guys are kind of pioneering this new method of fundraising. Like, when I say fundraising, not like for charity, but rather for mm. to build a business. So fundraising yeah. it. And... It's you're going to have the people that it affects. It's similar. One could make an argument that when the Model T was being built, the people who were in the horse and buggy business were not happy with that. It's Mm -hmm. understandable, but I think it's good to increase that competition in the same way as a pool operator. I'm not complaining. There are 2,700 pools. Like that's a lot of competition with a K value of, I think 1000. So it's optimally a thousand there being there. And there's almost three times that amount. It can hurt, but you have to understand that there, there's like a competition. People are going to, if the opportunity arrives, they may switch. So you have to be competitive about that. And I do know that that will upset some pool operators, of course, because no one wants you to take like a slice of any of their pie. And I sure, but I think it was a great way of going about it. And I think. There were mistakes, as you said, made, but that's anything. I mean, if you can look at Ethereum and when it made DeFi, it was a mm. pioneer. It was the first. But of course, there were mistakes made. Like, mm. of course, they would have, as Charles Hoskinson's put it, you would have built the seatbelt originally. But mm. that's hindsight's twenty twenty. Right. I did have a question in regards to the meld token. Mm. Um, could you explain how the meld token will be used to govern the platform? Sure. So the governance model is very similar to the way that comp works. Um, So you have the meld token and it has multiple functions. One function is as a governance token. So people that hold the meld token, both the amount that they hold and for the time that they hold it, determines how much they can vote on um, uh, meld improvement proposals, MIPS. So people that have the token can submit MIPS to the protocol. So the protocol will be managed by a Swiss foundation in the same sort of traditional way that you would with a, with a traditional DeFi open source protocol. And then it will be voted on by the community. And then those MIPS will then be implemented into the protocol. And so the idea here is to, again, going back to this, this first conversation about you have lenders and you have borrowers, people that are borrowing on the protocol and people that are providing liquidity, you want to be able to have both of them as your customer. If you, if you can, if you can get everybody involved to understand that the protocol in balance is going to benefit both parties, then you have a healthy ecosystem. And that's what we're shooting for. That's what we're trying to get to. We want a protocol that can evolve, of course, because this is all going to evolve. We don't have the answers. Yeah. Um, but you want to have both sides. You want to have people, I mean, in the best case scenario, you want actually the borrower and the lender to be the same person, but in oftentimes it's not. So you want to have incentivization for both sides and you want to be able to make it so people can't manipulate it. So you can't have a situation where someone can come in with, you know, $4 billion in a single day submit their you know proposal yeah. and then vote on it and then modify it to their benefit and everybody else's loss. So there are several different components to the to the governance token compo- side of it that we've tried to incorporate so that we could minimize the sort of gaming of the system. And then in addition to the governance component, you also can use the meld token to pay for fees on the protocol. So you we have wrapped assets. So we have MBTC 
METH and MBNB, MUSD and MEuros. So you can use the MELD token to pay for that wrapping. Um, in addition to that, we have liquidity pools. So you can use the MELD token on our single-sided liquidity pool for the second side of the pool. Um, and then finally, we have staking pools. So you can actually stake the MELD token on the protocol. And that staking pool operates as a kind of a security on the protocol for things like impermanent loss and uh, sort of black swan um, unexpected events. And so for the for staking in the protocol and for the fact that you're taking more risk, you then get 40% of all of the all of the um, fees that are being generated on the protocol. So it's a revenue generating or cash flow generating stake pool. Oh wow. Um, so touching on the wrapped assets really quickly, um, when I read through your white paper, I saw the wrapped Bitcoin, Ethereum, and other cryptocurrencies. This is something that I haven't seen a lot of other projects touch on very much. How has this development been going, and are you guys still scheduled to release that by the third quarter of 2021? Actually, um, the wrapped tokens are the things that are farthest down the, the sort of development line. So the wrapped to tokens are, are, are MUSD and MEuros are done. Um, and we're soon done with BTC, um, ETH, and BNB. Uh, and we can talk about this a little bit later, but part of that is connected to the bridge that we're working on with Polygon and Vent. Um, so this bridge over into Ethereum gives us this capacity to create these wrapped assets. And we believe that you know we're not maximalists. We want to play nice and participate with DeFi on other blockchains. Um, and yeah. we want to be a primitive on the Cardano blockchain, and we want to have composability to both Cardano projects, but also projects on other blockchains. So it's a, we want to be engaged in the community. We don't want to try and, you know, wall off our section. We want to participate. Again, reading through the white paper, which is extremely thorough, might I add, which is phenomenal. And I read up on the crypto-backed loans, which, of course, most of the audience will understand what crypto-backed loans are just from the name alone. But mm. could you explain the concept of genius loans? I know you touched sure. a little bit on that, but it seemed mind-boggling whenever I read through it. Um, yeah, so, so genius loans. Our genius loan is basically a crypto-to-fiat loan where you take your cryptocurrencies, you lock it up into a smart contract then you're able to borrow fiat against that. We then take that crypto and we put it to work. And that crypto will then generate yield, the crypto that's put, been put into the smart contract. Instead of us taking all of that crypto as profit to the protocol, we divide it up and say some of it goes to profit, some of it goes to, to treasury, some of it goes to pay off the principal of the loan. And so you always have to pay the interest on the loan, but the principal will pay itself off over time. And so you have a loan that has no end date that will pay itself off for you. So eventually, you'll get to a point where you'll get a message in the Meld app saying, your loan is now paid off. Thank you very much for being a customer. You know, Have a good yeah. day. And remember that the interest that you're paying on that loan in most countries, that interest is tax deductible. Yeah. So essentially, we're trying to get to a point where the collateral is so efficiently used that the loan costs nothing. That's amazing. Um, one question I did have about that then, because again, it almost, again, as you said, sounds too good to be true. It sounds too so good to be true. Of yeah. course it does. Yeah. Because there's nothing like that currently. <clears throat> so what happens, let's say I take a loan from you or I give you Bitcoin in exchange for fiat and I don't pay the interest on the loan. So will there just be less given to the principal or will it, that's just defaulting? There is no default, right? Yeah. This is, this, these are, again, we're back to this situation where we're so familiar with the traditional way of thinking yeah. about a loan. You know, when, when I've talked to loan professionals like executives, they have this, they have a very hard time understanding how we're approaching it. They, they ask me, you know, well, can they pay back? Don't you have to do credit checks on them and figure out what they're using it for? And all that? It's like, no, that's their business. 
It's not my business. They've put up collateral. What they do with their money is totally up to them. It's not up to me to sort of, you should use it for this or you should use it. No, that's not the way that it works. You know, if you're taking out a loan where you're putting up 10% collateral, then I can understand that you don't have to worry about getting it paid back. But you're putting up 200% of the collateral. You can use the, use the money for whatever you want to use. If you default on it, then we simply take the part of the collateral that is part of the loan, and we use that to pay back the lending pool, and then you get the difference back in the crypto that you're you've sort of you've used as collateral. Yeah. So we want to think about it in a more in a less hostile way. We want to think about it less as in you need to do this, otherwise we're going to do this to you, or you were gonna you have to do this. And you know, you're putting up the collateral, you're a grown-up, you know what you're doing you get to be responsible for your own actions and you can go and do that. And everything is on the blockchain so you can see what's happening. Yeah. So it is hard to get rid of the zero sum game mentality of me versus them. So I understand what you're saying. You're putting up enough collateral that if you were to default per se, just for lack of better words, then that asset, at least a portion of it, enough to go into the liquidity pool to exchange back to pay the original yeah. lender off, will go to them whilst the rest goes back to that person. So no, Correct. Okay, that makes complete sense then. And you, I understand it's because of the new efficiencies of smart contracts that banks really couldn't do it, or banks have no incentive to do it, when they have a system that they can profit more off of. So Right. There is one question I had in regards to Meld's white paper. That's on the topic of the Meld debit card. From what I yeah. read, the card would allow for liquid movement of cryptocurrencies into fiat currencies for everyday use. But one concern I had is that if you had Bitcoin and US dollar or US dollar coin, would the card know to use the fiat first? Or would one have to set, like, put the settings together to make it so that it has what it goes through first? No, so, so this this whole concept of using cryptocurrency on a credit card, for me, makes absolutely no sense. The idea of using Bitcoin to buy a cup of coffee is totally nuts. Oh, agreed. So it's, it works exactly the same way as a regular crypto to, or fiat, a crypto to fiat loan works. You decide what your credit line should be, and you take your collateral, and you put it into a smart contract and say, this is the collateral I'm putting up for this credit line. The difference between the credit line and the debit card and a traditional loan is that the fiat that you're using in that credit line, you pay interest on. Only the fiat that you're using, not the total amount that you've put under collateral, just the part that you're using. So if you've collateralized you know, $100,000 in Bitcoin, then you have a $50,000 a line of credit. But if you only use $500 of that, then you only pay interest on those $500. Okay. So that's how the debit card works. So we, we, our whole goal is to get it so that you don't get out of your long position in crypto. We want to keep, everybody wants to hodl. Everybody wants to stay in their long position, but everybody has to make a living. Everybody has to sort of, you know, buy things in the world. And so Meld is there to try and bridge that gap to make it easier to buy things and at the same time maintain the long position so you can see the benefits in the future. So just to make sure that I've got it straight, let's say I've got one Bitcoin, which we'll just say in the future, let's say it's 100,000 just for the sake of easy math. Mm. Um, I put a whole Bitcoin to get $50,000 of loan credit. Let's say I buy a coffee, let's say it's like five bucks. So it only takes five out of that 50. But then since I've already borrowed or have collateral against the Bitcoin of 50,000, that percentage will be paid back when the interest payment comes. But since the it's a genius loan, it's the investment of Bitcoin itself will start paying on the principal. No, so so right now the Genius Loan is a, its own separate thing. Okay, it's it's a, it's a specific product in the same way that the credit line is a specific product. This might change over time, 
as we see sort of how these things behave in the real world. But right now they're separate. So if you, for example, if you buy this cup of coffee and you now have, you know, you've spent $5 of that fiat, then you're going to get a bill the next month for that $5 and the interest on it. Um, you only have to pay on the interest. You don't have to pay on the $5. But if you pay on the $5, then your credit line goes back to zero uh, or goes back to 100%. And then you don't have any interest on it at that point. And so really, it's kind of a way to provide people with uh, a floating buffer in the real world in case they need it. So let's say maybe you're starting a business and you, you've taken you know five Bitcoin as your sort of you know, working capital, you can then take that five Bitcoin, collateralize it, get some fiat so you can operate in the physical world. Um, but you don't have to worry about paying a big interest or a big monthly payment if you're not actually using it. So it just provides one level, one more level of sort of flexibility and convenience for people. Yeah. Again, that sounds amazing. Just again, how liquid that would be. To allow for, because I know if I, let's say I sell Bitcoin to CoinMarketCap or an exchange, and then I am have them transfer the money into my bank account, it's like a two to three day venture. Like mm. it's not now, but having all that in one place sounds like it'd be a lot quicker. Yeah, quicker, more fluid, more predictable. Um, it's just, yeah, it's just trying to take what is already out there and iterate on it to try and make it that much better. Wow. Okay. I mean, again, half the time I'm just going, this sounds too good to be true. It, it's just so good. Just, you just have to take a step back and look at the, look at the financial mechanics first. I mean, this yeah. is what DeFi is good with, right? Oh, of course. The people that have been building DeFi, they've looked to the traditional financial instruments and then they've said, yeah, but we can do it better or yeah, but we can do it different or yeah, but we can put them together in a different way that makes much more sense for us. Yeah. And that's the kind of spirit that we're trying to sort of uphold or trying to be a part of. Oh, of course. And it's just, and sometimes some of these things can be mind boggling, but I'd recommend for everyone read the white paper. It will be linked down below. Yeah. It's just, it's such a good read. It's long, but you're not wasting your time in reading it. We um, tried to make it as short as possible, but it was nigh impossible to make it any shorter because, because of the fact that people, you know, say like, this is too good to be true. You have to really lay it all out in detail uh, in order for you yeah. to sort of substantiate your claims. Oh, of course. So the next two questions are kind of going to be based upon some more recent news. We've hmm. heard about the partnership between Meld and Vent Finance. What does Meld aim to produce from this partnership? Or what advantage will this partnership produce for both Meld and Vent? Yeah. So Vent reached out to us after we started the ISPO. Um, Vent is a, a Cardano-based launchpad. And they really liked the idea of an ISPO. And they thought that we could be good partners um, to figure out how ISPOs can be really leveraged by Vent's many projects that they're sort of fostering. And so it was kind of, it just made, it made real sense for us to team up in that way. And Vent already had a dialogue with Polygon about building a Polygon Cardano bridge. So Vent came to us and asked if we were interested in being a part of that. And we said, absolutely. I mean, yeah. how, who would say no to something like that? Oh, we already course. knew. Yeah, we, we already had targeted Polygon. We knew we wanted to do something with Polygon in a bridge. We knew that for a fact, but we hadn't reached out to Polygon at that point. And so it was just a, it just kind of all came together very naturally. The two, the two companies fit well together. We, we sort of have the same set of values. Uh, it just was, it just felt right. And so the first step in that was the production of Atomatic, which is this polygon bridge to Cardano. So we're able to take this um, very, very capital efficient L2 solution on Ethereum and bring over Ethereum's liquidity into Cardano and vice versa. It was a kind of a natural 
connection because we are doing wrapped assets and we need a bridge for wrapped assets anyway. So yeah. it just, there were on so many levels, it just made sense. And we were just all the way down the line. We were, everybody involved was just fired up about it. You know, Polygon was super happy. Vent was super happy and we were super happy. Oh, of course. And I know everyone, as we talked a little bit about, has heard of the ERC-20 converter, and everybody understands how valuable that is. And I think a lot of that is due to Ethereum being just, when you think DeFi, you think crypto, you think functional, like crypto with function, you think Ethereum. And it, I understand that's a huge market cap, but, and Cardano has been pushing for interoperability because there's three big problems with previous generation cryptocurrencies, and interoperability is one of those. But I, again, I hadn't heard very much at all about the Adamatic or Ada Polygon bridge, which I find baffling because I've heard about Matic slash Polygon. I've heard about them, but I'm just surprised I haven't heard much about the Polygon bridge and because that just seems so big. Yeah, I mean, we think that it's massive. I mean, it brings this capital efficiency that exists already in Cardano. It brings all of Ethereum to it because all the major players in DeFi on Ethereum are also on Polygon. So it's, it is, from our perspective, it is an extremely logical way of handling it. It's a logical way of going about it. Um, and, you know, it's not, the Adamatic is not a product of the MELD protocol or of event or of Polygon. It's a joint partnership and it's independent and it's intended for the entire community. Everybody can use it. It's not just sort of a sort of power play. It's intended to be out there and, and sort of engaged with the community. And so now that we're working on it, we're able to have conversations with other actors in the Cardano space, um, you know, DEXs and things like this, um, that just kind of, it, it makes the entire ecosystem and makes the bridge more valuable, makes it richer. And then once we once we get this all up and running, then I see us reaching out sort of across the aisle to start talking to more traditional DeFi primitives um, and see about how we can work together with them more efficiently. And you know, so I think it, I think it's a good step in the right direction for both capital efficiency and bringing the communities together. Oh, of course. And as we talked about just a little bit beforehand. Liquidity is quite key with a deck. So I why it's so big, and I know I keep harping on how big this is. And that's because for a DEX, like liquidity is a huge thing. If you can bring more people into the store per se, or bring more people into the system, have a bigger, more robust system, that just makes a better ecosystem for everyone. Whenever mm. I'm trying to facilitate a trade, there will be the liquidity to facilitate that trade. It just makes Everything runs smoother, and on top of that, you can open up more pools because you have more assets So within that place. So if I want to trade, let's say I make a Conward coin, Conward slash ADA, there will be possibly the liquidity for that pool as opposed to, let's say, if it's like a rather small exchange or it's hard to get into. Like, let's say I have ADA or I have Matic slash Polygon, and I want to facilitate trades on meld but there is no bridge what i have to do is i have to go through an intermediate i have to find a way to trade meld because there really isn't a lot of meld slash ada like exchanges so i have to then go let's say change it to us dollar coin then use us dollar coin to go into ADA. it's just not a fun thing so, correct oh it just it's so big it really is yeah and we want it to be for everybody right we want all of the decks to be able to connect to it directly. We want it to be something that connects all of Cardano to all of Ethereum rather than this kind of narrowly defined bridge. Um, and this is what we're sort of working towards and we want to see happen. And, you know, the biggest smart contract based liquidity is obviously Ethereum. You know, yeah. they're the they're the big guy in the room. And, you know, since what end of 2020, you had Bitcoin liquidity that's been brought on to Ethereum as wrapped assets. Mm -hmm. So then that provides the 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 channeling of Bitcoin into the Ethereum space and then again into the Cardano space. So 
bring all these things together and look at it less as us and them, less as Polygon, or sorry, less as Cardano and Ethereum, more as a bunch of protocols that are interoperable to get the best out of whatever the goal is in the end. Uh, that's what we want to see. Yeah, and I know for a lot of different cryptocurrency communities, it's a bit of almost tribalism we have to get past. We have to stop being, I'm Ada's best, no other thing, or Tezos is best, nothing will ever be, like, we kind of need to move past that and understand we're in the crypto space together. This is what helps one helps all, like rising tides help raise all boats. And I think mm. this is something that'll take some time to get past because for example, I know some in the Ethereum community can be a little hostile towards the ADA, like, or cryptocurrency just a itself. Little. Yeah, just a little. <laughs> so, I mean, but we're not coming after you as in that. I mean, there may be some playful banter similar to, like, Pepsi versus Coca-Cola, but rather you, with especially with the Ethereum community, it's nothing against Ethereum. It's actually, without Ethereum, this may not have ever happened. But... I just think we need to probably move past the tribalism and that'll be good for DEXs. That'll be good for the DeFi space overall if we just move past that. I think part of part of it for us or for me particularly is that I don't have a sort of deep, long history in crypto, right? I wasn't sort of investing in Bitcoin in 2010. I was yeah. there in 2017. And so I don't have this... this sense of, you know, it is either this or nothing. I have a sense that I think that, you know, Bitcoin is fantastic and DeFi on Ethereum has done, yeah, is going to be written down in history as a sort of new chapter. And Cardano is an evolution of that and will participate in that dialogue or participate in that uh, evolution. And so it's, it's much more conciliatory than it is, um, yeah sort of trying to to say one is right over another. So before I jump to other topics, I want to jump yeah. real quick back to a previous one about the going to different pools with the concept of the initial stake offering. Um, I don't know if you've heard what MinSwap's doing. They've done kind of a initial stake offering of sorts where they call it the fair ISPO. So what yeah. they have is a bunch of, I think like 75 pools and they randomly pulled them and for example they're taking the first 10 right now and having them if you delegate to them you get the min swap token was that kind of what you guys were aiming for when you were going to different pools or because i just want to kind of get an no, idea so, yeah so initially we didn't know right we weren't no one had ever done it we were the first to do it yeah. so we didn't know we wanted to go out and we wanted to have a dialogue with spos to talk to them about what they thought the best approach might be, yeah. right? So we didn't have a, a playbook or a plan, but because we couldn't get those dialogues going, we ended up just having to sort of do it on our own. And we, we talked to people in Cardano in the, uh, in the ecosystem at large. Um, most of them, the vast majority of them were super positive before it happened. Yeah. Right? They were like, wow, this is amazing. I never thought about that. Let's do this. Um, and then once we started it, that's when the criticism came. I mean, I never crossed my mind that we were going to be taking from other stake pools. It never crossed my mind. I mean, High is different. So he's been sort of neck deep in Cardano for three years. So he was more prepared for it than I was. Yeah. But we, we, I was. The intent was to try and be more fair. The intent was not to try and come after anybody. It was ex the exact opposite of the intent. Oh, of um, course. So I think that there's going to be a lot of iteration on an ISPO. There's going to be a lot of failures, which we need to be very respectful of because people are trying to innovate. And when you innovate, sometimes you fail. So don't come after them too hard for it. Um, I expect there will also be rug pulls. You know, wherever there's these kinds of things, you're going to end up with rug pulls. Uh, so I, I think that in, in my perfect world, the way that I would like to see it is I would like to see new projects have a group of 
ISP or of, of stake pool operators that they collaborate with, or one or two that they collaborate with. And the stake pool operator creates a bunch of new stake pools for them. Yeah. And they come to some sort of agreement where the stake pool operator essentially vouches for the new project, says, I know these guys, I know where they live, I know that they're real, I know they're legit, I've sort of done that. Exchange for that, they actually get to be part of the project and they get some of the tokens as a result of that. And then there's a bit smoother transition into the community. Will it stop the the FUD? No. Nope. <laughs> I mean, you're going to get a couple stake pool operators that are going to, you know, get some really hot projects that are going to suck up a whole bunch of, you know, delegations from other stake poolers. Um, and then they're going to be the, the, the target of the day. Oh, of course. And I see it again, as you were saying, it's not solely a negative and there's going to be a lot of adjustments similar to like ICOs aren't initially like just aren't bad, but they've kind of got the negative connotation because of the amount of people that win in it clearly not intending on producing a product. So like mm. there's going to be that infancy period or the adolescent period of the development to where you're going to run into some of this. And then you're going to actually like, you have to do again with cryptocurrency, your due diligence, you have to look into the project. Is this possible? Since for example, the great thing about Cardano is instead of running in, I've said this repeatedly on many episodes, Cardano doesn't run in Silicon Valley style and go, we're going to make this. And then people ask how, We'll figure that out later. It's like, no, they make sure it's mathematically possible to do it, and then they do it. And mm. we're going to have to kind of, as a community, come to the same idea that we need to verify these things beforehand. And I do see, as you said, having, let's say, initial stake pool offerings, working with stake pool operators, working with the stake pool operators who are within the community, somebody who already has built that trust because they are trustworthy and they've been in that community. Mm. That, for example, some projects might go, oh, we can, I mean, kill two birds with one stone, have token distribution that way and have a marketing partner. So exactly. Yeah. So I could see that very well being part of the future of the ecosystem without a doubt. Yeah. And I mean, a lot of a lot of the support that I've personally gotten has been from stake pool operators that have approached me privately. And then I have a call with them and they're like, don't worry, Ken. It's okay. I was attacked as well. It's not going to, it's going to blow over after a while, just, you know. And so I think these kinds, this is where the community really comes into play. You're able to actually work with people that are very level headed and you're able to sort of deal with things on a much more professional basis. And you can, you know, the, the sum becomes greater than any of the parts kind of idea. Oh, of course. So one question I did have is there are there are a lot of competing DEXs or other DeFi applications that are aiming to acquire a piece of the Cardano market share. Mm. Who or what do you think is your strongest com competition or largest competitor in this space? It doesn't have to be just Cardano. Yeah, but yeah. no, we don't have any competitors. Um, the you have Liquid, which has a similar offering, but they're not a competitor. We're not we we're not at that point where we have to be be sort of adversarial. Yeah. Uh, we talk to or high talks to Dwayne all the time on mm -hmm. a regular basis. They used to work together. Um, if we think about it from this us and them perspective, we're not going to get very far. We're not going to you know if we don't learn from each other. You know when one person when one project's smart contracts fail, it's going to affect all of the rest of us. And so we've taken a very different approach that we want to include everybody um, in the same way you have, you know, Curve, Balancer, Uniswap, Aave, Comp. They're not competitors. People are taking them and aggregating them together to do yield farming and they're turning them into really interesting new projects. And, you know, it needs to be much more in that sort of frame of thinking rather than these guys are our competitors. You know, when we think about liquid, you know, we want to be able to support liquid assets as collateral for our loans. And we want liquid to be able to support our wrapped assets because that gives them access to more liquidity. Yeah. And we want liquid to be able to use the Polygon bridge because it'll give them the highest degree of efficiency. And, you know, the decks over there, we want them to be able to swap between liquid and meld tokens. 
So we need to think of it, and we we do think of it as as more of a community. And there's a lot of liquidity, and we're trying to bring as much liquidity in as we can. And it's going to be a very vibrant environment. And if we build these primitives so that people can use them in various different ways, then we will all win in the end. So again, it seems you guys are taking up the think of it as an ecosystem as opposed to the sum of its parts. As you said, the whole is more than the sum of its parts type of mentality, which Again, I think that's a good mindset to have because especially now when the projects aren't out per se, like we're, they're still being developed because smart yeah. contracts aren't here yet. But on the concept of smart contracts, we know Cardano smart contract functionality is looking very positive with the movement from Alonzo Blue to Alonzo Purple recently. Mm. I know many projects are heavily reliant on the progress from the Cardano side, but how is the progress on the meld side of things? I mean, the progress is is fine. I mean, we're ahead of the curve. We've been doing this since mid to late 2020. Oh wow! So, the the challenge we're running into is that you know the stuff that we're the stuff that is being done is very difficult. Um, you really need to have a test net up and running and fully functional to be able to test all of these things for at least a couple of months before you want to take them live. And so, we just want to make sure that that you know, a good example is, like I said before, we're, we're going to be auditing, or, or I didn't say that before, I said it on, anyway, uh, we're going to be doing an audit on our system, on our, our platform in October. Yeah. Um, in order to do a full audit, you have to have a fully functioning, fully working test net where you can do all of this, you can do everything in it. Um, that, I think, is going to be a bit challenging um, because there's such a, such a uh, hard push to, to release this. Um, the other thing is that the auditors involved are going to have a hard time evaluating smart contracts because one, it's written in Haskell, so therefore it's extremely rare language to write in. And two, there just isn't a lot of experience around smart contracts because it's so incredibly new. And so this, this, I guess, kind of leads into a different point um, where last week we launched a product called Hachi, which mm-hmm. is a Cardano-based smart contract auditing tool um, for being able to do auditing and reverse engineering for security purposes on Cardano smart contracts. So it's not so much that, that Cardano as a whole and its ability to release smart contracts is the sort of end game. Because if you look at Ethereum, there's whole sets of tooling around smart contracts for Ethereum smart contracts. And so we need to have that ecosystem as well. You can't just simply have the smart contract. You have to have ways of writing them and testing them and evaluating them. And some of that is going to be done by IOHK, but you can't expect them to do everything Oh, of course. The community has to do some of it as well. And so this is why we've we've put together Hachi and we're sort of rolling it out open source, working with other protocols and other projects as well so that we can all sort of come together and build the tooling that we need to make sure that the smart contracts are as safe as possible. Oh, of course. And I didn't actually know about, you hadn't talked about the auditing too much, but I know, for example, Cardano used the testnet to do a stress test of the system. I know mm. a couple other projects actually are giving out testnet-like tokens to help do a stress test. I don't know if that's part of your auditing as well, but I do see, as you said, the problems with, if it's a new language, like Plutus is new. So mm. getting you really are going to have a hard time finding until they te- like learn or you get a couple of developers that these auditing agencies can pick up to audit these scripts in this program, that's going to be really difficult. Mm. Yeah. So th- we're in a situation where it's it's very likely that the team that's going to be auditing our system will be learning from our developers because one of the guys we brought on or one of the teams we brought on for Hachi is the best team in the world for security on Haskell. And so we're going to be working together to look at how to 
audit it and make sure that there's a certain audit level and whatever the best practices are for auditing. Um, but that's just going to help everybody. And so there's going to yeah. be this growing pains period over the next six months where we're going to have to try and figure out these things. And we want to figure them out in the test net. We don't want to figure them out in the main net. Of course. Oh no, that I think we all can agree that would probably be best. It's better mm. to make mistakes when they're not as costly and the yeah. test net would be the place for sure. Um, what has the largest challenge been for the meld team? The largest challenge so far. Uh, I guess that the, well, I, let's, instead of the largest challenge, I would say the largest risk. Yeah. So the largest risk is the banking Oracle. So um, what we're doing is we're creating a Chinese wall between crypto and fiat. And we have two oracles on the protocol. One oracle is the risk protocol, or sorry, the risk oracle, which deals with risk and interest rates and all that kind of stuff. And the second oracle is the bank oracle. And the bank oracle connects to bank accounts and takes all of the bank activity and writes it on chain. Okay. So yeah. that Oracle isn't particularly difficult because it's based on an open banking API, but the risk is working with banks or financial institutions and making them feel comfortable enough for us to be able to create this bridge. So that is the biggest risk that we have right now. And it's the place where we're working, we're doing a lot of work um, to make sure that our, that we have multiple banking partners in regards to these these connections so that it's not a single point of failure that it's a multiple it's a network it's decentralized and that's what we're that's what i would say is the biggest risk for what we're doing um in regards to difficulty lots of things are difficult on a daily basis yeah and from you know trying to solve new things in in you know uh, in smart contracts to dealing with trolls that are coming after you everything is is kind of tough of course, paving the way can, is typically a very difficult thing to do. When you're talking about risk, are you talking about just in function itself or would it no, be no, in no. the information itself not getting like, it, will the information be encoded? So if it's on the blockchain that there's, I can't look at what Sally has bought with her bank account or. No, no, it's, it's just, it's never been done before. Yeah, that's it. It's never been done before. And banks, uh, to their credit, are risk averse. Their job is to be very safe. So it's just simply working with banks that they have a confidence level in what it is that we're doing. And so it's just that. It is not because the process is difficult. Open banking APIs have been around for several years now. They're, they're sort of a cornerstone of, of, um, of fintech. But doing this, this is quite unique. And so we have to work with our partners very closely and they have to trust us and we have to trust them. And because it's new, it's risky. And so we just have to take that risk and we have to manage it as effectively as we can. Yeah. Do you or your team have an estimated time of which the Cardano community will be able to use the Meld platform? I know yeah. a lot of people are kind of are dependent on Cardano's progress. So mm. a lot of us understand that, but do you have an estimated time? Yeah, that's that's the big asterisk, right? So Alonzo hard fork is the big asterisk. Yeah. But regardless of that, um, what we're planning for right now is November launch, and then sometime in Q1 next year for uh, crypto to fiat lending, so the banking side of it. So first will be crypto to crypto wrapped assets, you know, staking pools, this kind of stuff, um, and then in the new year we will have the the fiat bridge to be able to do crypto to fiat lending. Okay. So this has been super informative and quite long, which I don't think any of this time was wasted. <laughs> I really appreciate you taking the time to chat today, but before we go, how can listeners get involved with what you're doing or how can people best support you and your team? Sure. So uh, the first places will be to go to the website, download the, the white paper. You can join us on our Telegram channel. We have people there 24 hours a day. We have Telegram channels in some 12 languages. Uh, so you can ask questions and get answers there. Um, the last one would be we have an ambassador program. So if you're really enthusiastic and really engaged, then you can join us and you participate in our ambassador program. 
Um, and if you want to do this, then you know, join the ISPO. So it's part of the Cardano blockchain. It's not part of something that Meld has created. Um, you delegate from your Yoroi or your Daedalus wallet the same way you delegate to a normal stake pool. So um, it's a it's a great way to for the community to vote for Meld, um, and it's a great way for you to get involved with the Meld token. Sounds like a plan. And I guess I did have one quick last question. With the pools, after you guys launch, are you guys going to keep your pools up and running with the same? Or no, how do you no, guys? We're gonna, the, the, our business is not intended to be related to, to stake pools. So um, we have had a lot of people ask to keep one pool open. Uh, we haven't made a decision about that yet. If we do end up keeping one pool open, it will be kept open under the same terms as most traditional stake pool operators operate under. It won't be under the terms that we currently have this 100% term. Okay, sounds perfect. That's That was one thing I'm sure many of our listeners slash yeah. viewers are going to be curious of. But again, thank you for coming on the show. And I, as well as others, are looking forward to seeing the MELD platform and how it develops within the Cardano and DeFi space. Great talking to you, Conrad. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Cardano Convo podcast. If you want an easy way to help us out, make sure to share this podcast. That way we can grow and create a better podcast for you guys. Also leave us a five-star review. And if you have feedback on today's episode, tweet us at Cardano Convo. Send your emails to cardanoconvo at gmail.com or join the Cardano Convo Discord server and let us know. We'd love to hear from you. Also, make sure to check out our new podcast website on crypto-loops.com. We'd also like to thank our sponsors. First are our Patreons over on the Cardano Convo Patreon page. Their direct contributions help to make this podcast possible. By becoming a patron, you gain amazing benefits such as access to polls to help decide the content of upcoming episodes, early access to videos, roles and benefits within the Discord server, and so much more. Our second sponsor is Loops Pool. If you want to help out the podcast and are looking for a Cardano stake pool to delegate your ADA to, then think about delegating with Loops Pool. That's Loops, L-O-O-P-S. Again, thank you for joining us, and we'll see you in the next episode of the Cardano Convo.